it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 105. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to read some listener questions, and we'll go ahead and answer those on the air, and we'll have our usual banter and witty, witty comments from each other as we go forward with all this. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first question. Andrew, would you like to say hello? Hello. (laughs) Excellent. Good job. All right, moving on. Um, Hello. I have been following your podcast for months and just recently signed up for e-letter service. I noticed you are using your Roth IRA for your stock recommendations and tracking your 40-year portfolio. I understand the benefits of using a Roth to avoid taxes, but is it absolutely necessary for the goal of your slash our investing? My Roth is being utilized with an advisor service from Vanguard, so it's not available for individual stocks. I'm using a separate taxable brokerage account for my stock picking. Would this still be beneficial in the long run with having to pay taxes yearly on dividends and capital gains when selling if in a taxable brokerage? Thank you, Jared. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? So we were kind of talking about this off the air before um, hitting record. I think like, like what you mentioned, Dave, obviously 
um, you can have multiple Ross. <clears throat> so he talks about how he has an advisor who's handling one of his, you know, his Roth account. You can open a second one and use that for your stock picking instead of doing it with a taxable brokerage account. So just as a quick overview, um, refresher maybe if, if you're not well versed in all this stuff, an individual brokerage account, um, gets taxed. And so, like he said in the question, you get taxed on dividends, you get taxed on capital gains. What's key to understand is even if you're doing a drip, like a dividend reinvestment, you're still going to get taxed on those dividends. So let's say you're reinvesting all of your dividends in a given year. Let's say you had like a thousand dollars in dividends and you reinvested all of them. Um, you're still going to get a bill come tax time. So you should have some money saved to pay for those taxes on those dividends you received. Obviously, we like to take advantage of all the tax shelters we can as investors. And so that's why a Roth IRA or a regular IRA is something that we, from the onset, recommend. You can go back to our personal finance series and, and hear all about that. But with, you know, with a Roth, they're not going to tax you on those dividends. So as an example, if I'm getting $200 in dividends this year for my Roth... Uh, I'm not going to get taxed on any of that, so I don't have to save any money and I can just reinvest those dividends and, and let that grow over time. Now, we'll say one way to mitigate this. So <clears throat> obviously, you can open the second Roth. That kind of solves that problem. Uh, another reason why somebody might not be able to use a Roth is there's income limits on Roths. So if you make a certain amount of money, um, obviously you're fortunate, but you, you're not able to take advantage of of some of the tax shelters like a Roth, um, particularly if you make a lot and a lot of money. So what you can do instead is instead of instead of like reinvesting your whole portfolio, you can maybe, let's say, pick half of your stocks to, to do a drip and, and an automatic reinvestment. And maybe the, the other half, you're going to collect those dividends and let them sit. And then you can um, have, have a cash balance and you can take that out when tax time happens and use that to pay your your taxes. Um, so, so you can do some calculations on that. You can be clever and smart, however you want to do that. You can set your whole account to not reinvest and then just kind of reinvest manually, right? So you have a, a pile of, 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 div, of cash from your dividends and you buy more stocks manually instead of having them do automatically. And again, you can be smart with calculations and make sure you don't buy too much stock so you have enough for taxes. So those are all kind of options we can do. Um, because my e-leather does a Roth IRA, I don't have to worry about taxes. And so those decisions and those stock selections are happening in that environment, in that context. So that also would like, because a tax benefit, buying and holding a stock for a long, long time is a tax benefit. In theory, in my Roth, you know, I could be trading in and out and not have to pay any capital gains taxes. And so that could encourage trading activity. Obviously, um, I like to hold longer in spite of that. But um, that's another way to mitigate taxes is at least not on the dividend side, but on the capital gain side. Um, I think Warren Buffett, somebody, some investor quoted how that's one of the best, you know, the most tax efficient things to do is just to hold your stocks because you're not having to pay capital gains tax every time you sell. So that's another kind of idea or strategy you can take 
if you're in the fortunate position to have so much money that you can't have these Roth contributions? That was an excellent answer. And I guess the only thing that I would tag on with what Andrew was saying was just to kind of, I guess, double tap the, the, the hammer on the reducing the taxes. You have to think of taxes as uh, something we all have to pay, obviously. And we can get into all the different ramifications of that. And we won't, that's not our kind of show, but uh, anything that's going to reduce how much you can reinvest into your wealth for your future is going to have an impact in the long run. And so if you're paying taxes yearly on dividends that you're going to reinvest back into the company, that will affect the long-term compounding because you're going to be reducing the amount that you're actually putting into the account to reinvest. And so that's why I would recommend that you investigate other options to help you reduce the impact that taxes could have on your investments. Because regardless of whether you're 29 or 49, when we're investing, we want a long time horizon because that's how we're going to build the wealth is not by hitting a home run by picking Amazon when it first comes out as $12 a share. And now it's a, you know, a couple thousand or whatever it is. It's, it's by having, you know, gradual compounding interest over a long period of time and just continuing to grow as Andrew likes to say, continuing to grow all those streams of, of income and anything that's going to interrupt that or impede that is something that you want to try to avoid if at all possible, because it, it will have an impact. Even if it's, you know, the taxes maybe knocks off half a percent of what you're reinvesting. That's a half a percent you can't have to invest. So it's, you know, it behooves you to run, not walk, to find what the options would be to help you reduce that if any way possible. I love hearing something I wrote in the daily email earlier and hearing you reference it on the podcast today. That was great. <laughs> I told you I do read them. All right. Well, why don't we move on to the next question? Okay. So hi, Andrew. I've been following your stuff for a couple of weeks now and just purchased the value chart indicator book with spreadsheet. I'm really enjoying the material and the easy to understand nature. You make everything. I had a question about market cap and picking stocks. I'm from Australia, so I assumed our small, mid, and large cap stocks would be of different value to America. However, I seem to get the same valuations when I do a search with mid cap being anything over $2 billion. I want to know the potential downside to buying small cap stocks. I've ran a screen and I've found a few small cap stocks in Australia that matched the VTI for buy, but I wasn't sure about executing because they're small cap. Look forward to your response, Nicholas. What's your thoughts? My thoughts are to try to avoid small cap stocks if you can, uh, for one very, very large reason, volatility. When you're dealing with small cap stocks, you're going to deal with a great ton more volatility than you will with mid or even large cap, especially just because of the nature of how the market works. Small cap stocks can have a large amount of volatility based on the good news or bad news that happens with the stock market. And because they're so small that there can be wild fluctuations in the price. And as a long-term investor, you want something that's going to be calmer and just generally go up. But small cap stocks can rush up really, really fast because they're the fat of the day. And then all of a sudden some bad, bit of bad news comes out. Everybody pulls their money out and it crashes like a bomb. And that's how you can lose a lot of money in the stock market is by playing in that field. Uh, 
if that's something that you could comfortable with the risk of dealing with that and, and the stress of seeing those things go up and down, up and down, up and down, then maybe that's something you want to consider. But for me personally, that, that is a big reason why I steer clear of small cap stocks. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think we should be clear to uh, the way people define small cap is going to be different. So some websites will say a small cap stock is from the $2 billion to $20 billion range, which I love buying those. Some websites will call small cap stocks under $2 billion, which is uh, what Nicholas was referring to here. And, and I think Finviz ca- categorizes it the same way. Uh, and those are the ones that I would avoid. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. The reasons why I think that there's so much volatility with these stocks, if we think about fundamentally why they are that size, you'll have a, a few things and a few factors to consider. So when a stock is that size, generally it's because the industry hasn't matured as much. And so you might have, it could be one of two things or both really. You could have um, a lot of players in the, in the market where 
not one is, has been dominant. So instead of like the soda industry where there's Pepsi, Coke, and Dr. Pepper, and, um, and those are like the three kind of pillars of the industry, it could be a small industry where there's like hundreds of players. It's, it's in a very growth stage. The industry itself, I, I think of marijuana when I, when I think about an industry like that. And so, so many small, so many small companies, so much competition, such a young industry. And so there's going to be blood to, to, to um, finally reach a, a point where it's more mature and, and there's more stable players in there. Um, so it, it could be one of those two things, right? It could be a young industry or there could be just so many players or it could just be a very, very small player in a bigger field. And so I think whether it's any of those reasons, it's not something that I would be comfortable buying. Um, there's plenty of opportunities with stable companies, like Dave was saying, um, a lot less volatility, not only in the stock price, but also in the financials. And so why play lottery tickets when you can, you can go for something that's a little bit more established and a little bit more safer. And a- another thing to consider too, is I think you can have a lot more, not funny business, but like factors that you don't really have to consider with really big companies. So I don't know how many people know this, but when Warren Buffett was starting out, he was a very activist type investor. So if you think about those type of investors today, I I think of like Bill Ackman. A couple other names are escaping me at the moment, but basically these these big investors who will who will buy up large portions of a of a company and then kind of use that power to make decisions themselves on how they want the company to go so that could be good or bad depending on the activist investor so if the investor is kind of sees like a value opportunity and they want to close on that and then they want to get out of that position once that value has been realized then if you're the type who really is trying to buy these stocks for the very long term, that might not work out for you. If they're an activist investor who's maybe trying to keep a long-term stake, maybe that that is good for you. So you can't really know, but it's these smaller market cap type stocks where they'll be more likely to have a big player come in and, and kind of, they could change the whole story of the company within you know a few months. And, and so you don't tend to see that with the larger market cap stocks, because <laughs> there's not many people with um, billions of dollars laying around that can just go into these huge public corporations and just kind of demand their way. So those are all, I think, additional reasons and factors and fundamentals to consider when it comes to these small cap stocks. Um, like I said, I don't. I, I've I've dipped in into like the one billion to two billion dollar range, and and sometimes I'll buy into those still, but definitely anything under one billion is is no go for me. And generally, I try to stay above two billion in market cap. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Excellent, good answer. All right, let's move on to, you're welcome, the next question. Uh, Good morning, Mr. Sather. Thank you for this peek into the growth of a dollar. Very informative and detailed explanation of compounding interest and growth. Out of curiosity, do you at all use apps like Acorns or Robinhood? And what is your opinion on their viability as a 
investment vehicles. And do you happen to know if there is a way to set up a drip on there? Apologize if you've already answered this question on the podcast, but I haven't gotten there yet. I recently started a small Robinhood investing account to force myself to pay attention to the market more than occasionally reading my quarterly 401k statements. Thank you very much for your guidance, making the vast world of investing a little bit smaller for me. Best regards, Ryan. I love that he's, you know, it's something I've talked about over and over again. I talked about it a lot when I first started the blog is just get started, right? Just get your toes in the water and just, there's something about having ownership in a stock that makes you look at the stock market different. It makes you pay attention, even if it's just like a couple dollars. Um, There's something about having that ownership that really changes things. and, And I think it accelerates your learning process. So I love that even though we're not too fond of Robin Hood, I love that he made one just so he could pay attention to the market. It sounds like it's working out for him. As far as like thoughts on Robin Hood, other than us saying that, hey, we're we're not we're not big fans of it, I would say you can go back in the archives and listen. We dedicated a whole episode to it, I believe. Um it's not coming up on my search here, but I do have a blog post on Robinhood. If you go on the blog at investingforbeginners.com, you go to the search bar and you type in Robinhood. Uh, you can read thoughts on there. They don't offer drip as of now, this recording, the middle of 2019. So keep that in mind. As far as Acorns, so I've used Acorns in the past, but just very sparingly. So the way Acorns works is it's this app that you can download. It's totally free. You can hook it up to your bank account. And then basically, it's like a keep the change, but for investing. So if I buy a candy bar for $1.75, um, they round up the change up to the next dollar amount. And then they take that money and they invest it for you. So um, you know that candy bar will, will take, instead of $1.75, I'll take a $2 debit out of my account. And those $0.25 cents will go into your Acorns account. So it's I think it's a cool way to get started and it's it's a very visually appealing platform it's very aesthetic um fun to look at uh and it's kind of cool to see that growth of your portfolio over time and you know it's it's something that's automated so that can be useful I just I I think it it can be a cool thing but it's uh, the the way I, I'll say it like this, like it would be like um, it it should not replace a good standard investing plan. Something like what we talk about with one hundred and fifty dollars a month. Um, the the progress you'll make on that is very very slow unless you're um, a huge spender. Which if you're trying to build wealth, that's probably hurting you. So. You might think, oh well, my now my good spending, you know, all this big spending I'm doing is is helping my wealth, and it's not. <laughs> it, the, that's going to be fractions of of savings versus if you would have actually just saved the money and invested it yourself. So I think it's it, it reminds me of like credit card rewards. Um, you can there's people that certainly are good with them, and and you can kind of use that to your advantage to get nice little boosts here or there. But in the grand scheme of things, you're talking about little small percentages versus um you know we're, we're talking on, on different scales so one to two percent versus a hundred percent you know uh is the credit card rewards making you spend an extra two hundred dollars because you think 
the extra two dollars is is going to be free to you. You're talking about one percent of if you would have just saved the two hundred dollars. Now that's. I hope you get where where I'm going with this. Um, so Acorns is cool. The way they do it is they will give you like a portfolio of ETFs and um, you can choose your risk tolerance. They go conservative, moderately conservative, moderate, moderately aggressive and aggressive. And they're going to large, large cap stocks, small cap stocks, and, and just like a mix. I just remember the the performance for it in the time when I had it and I was checking the performance. It was terrible <laughs> and definitely investing on my own had much better results. Not to mention the fact you cannot really drip as far as I'm aware, and even if you are dripping, you're not. They're buying fractional shares for you in in these huge, large portions of these um, different ETFs that they're getting you into. So you're talking about fractions of fractions of shares of. It's it's just you're spreading your money so thin, and it's kind of dumb. So I I just I would say it's it's a cool thing to have, but I would definitely not use it as a main. Um, vehicle for saving for your retirement, saving for your future, or thinking that you're building any sort of wealth with it. It's 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 not really going to do much. I like the answer. That was I think that was good. I uh, I personally don't use Acorn, Acorns or Robinhood, and I kind of I guess my thoughts are very similar to to Andrew, so I don't really have anything to add to that. All okay, right, cool. so let's. I'll do I'll do one more question here. Okay. Uh, Mr. Sather, I have been following your newsletter for a couple of months now and really enjoy reading your e-letters. I have another question to ask you about investing. I understand value investing and that is your niche investing style. However, have you ever thought about monthly dividend stocks? I've listened to all your podcasts from past to present. Not one of them ever talk about monthly dividend stocks. It would be nice to hear your thoughts on them. It would also be nice to know if you would ever invest your money into any of them. Hope the best to you and your family and all your future endeavors. Thank you, Robert. I would like to hear your thoughts on that, Andrew, because I, be honest with you, I don't know much about monthly dividend stocks. And since okay. you're the you're the drip, you're the drip king, I think that would be appropriate for you. <laughs> so they definitely exist. Um, you can go on Google and you can find the list quite easily of monthly dividend stocks. So I get the appeal of it. You know, you're. You have an income stream every month. So if you, you picture you're somebody who's close to retirement or actually in retirement, I think that's where the draw is for a lot of people because it can kind of replace a paycheck because you're getting these these um, these checks, these dividend checks to you every month and it's consistent, reliable. It, so that's a cool feature. I wouldn't buy a stock just because of that. You can kind of structure your portfolio to hit a lot of months, or you could even effectively have it do the same. Um, I think just based on what I've experienced, I'll get my dividends and waves. So I wish I looked this up before we were recording, but I think there's a big, the way that these companies do their fiscal years, a lot of them tend to follow the same thing. And then a lot of, a lot of other companies will kind of do their fiscal year, however they want. So they tend to pay dividends based on how their fiscal year schedule is. So I think it's like the February, May, um, every three months, like on that track kind of is a very common 
monthly dividend payout. So while you could build a portfolio based off of it, um, it might be harder just because there is that one or two common um, fiscal year structures that a lot of companies use. I would say, yeah, I, I get the draw of it. I, I get the idea that you want this consistent, reliable, um, easy to plan for income stream. But I think the potential cons outweigh the potential benefits. You have to remember you're, you're doing these investments because you're buying part ownership of a company. So the way I would see it is like, would you take a, a job that's either lower paying or a job that just pisses you off because you get paid every week versus once a month? I certainly wouldn't. And so I wouldn't buy stocks in the same way because of all those reasons. So you should, if you're planning to live off dividend income, you should structure your budget. So you're taking all of the dividend payouts into consideration. One of the stocks that's one of my favorites is Disney and and they pay one. They they do it biannually. So there's only two dividend payments and it's uh, two times a year. So if you're planning to live off dividends, you should take the whole portfolio into account and just try to budget for it and, and make sure that the months where you're not getting dividends, you have you have enough saved to cover those months. But yeah, kind of going back to the original question, I wouldn't not buy them, but I haven't found one yet that I wanted to buy. And so I just haven't bought one yet. That was very interesting. I think one of the things that I guess I would wonder about a company that's doing a monthly dividend stock, um, are they, do they have like kind of higher payout ratios than normal companies? And aren't they kind of generally smaller cap stocks that are going to be doing this or, or are they larger cap stocks? That's a good question too. I think, so I guess you know there's only so many earnings you can pay out, right? So, mm-hmm. like it, 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 whether the payout ratio is higher or not, I, I would imagine the payout ratio probably is higher. I think um, like the MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships, tend to mm-hmm. some of them tend to do monthly. So now, now that actually you mentioned it, yeah, I, I did buy one of those in the past, and it didn't perform. You know, it it, it wasn't like a a much better stock from an income or performance perspective than any other stock I bought. Um, so yeah, I guess something to keep in mind too is if, if they're going to pay you monthly, it's going to be a much lower dividend than a standard quarterly would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess, you know, kind of exploring that a little bit more, if they have a higher payout ratio, that means for those of you who don't understand what I'm talking about, when we're talking about a payout ratio, we're talking about the money that the company is taking from their earnings and using that to pay out a dividend as opposed to share buybacks or reinvesting back in the company or just simply sitting on the money. And so the higher the payout ratio, that basically means if you have $100 in your account and you're taking $80 of it to pay dividends, that leaves you only $20 to do anything else. And so the higher the payout ratio, generally there's less margin for error. And obviously when we're talking about this, there's going to be exceptions to the rule. 
And a company that springs to mind when I think about that is somebody like Coca-Cola, who's been around for about 100,000 years and is very likely not going anywhere anytime soon. And they have an elevated payout ratio, but they're also at a stage where their company is really kind of beyond growing at this point. And so taking that money and giving it back to us investors as a dividend is a very wise way to go. But when we're talking about all these other companies, the higher the payout ratio, and especially if it's a small cap, that gives them less margin of error for things. And so I think that's one of the big risks that I would think would be involved in getting investing with a monthly dividend stock. Yeah, that's a a good insight. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our listener questions and our answers for them. There's a lot of good nuggets in there and hopefully you find something that can help you with your investing. So again, as always, go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.